My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is always that one Sunday of the year when I really feel a sense of uh, chronological whiplash. We just came from kneeling at the manger cradle with the baby Jesus, right? And then on January 6th, uh, one week after Christmas Day, we read the story of the Magi coming from the East to bring their gifts to the infant Jesus. And then all of a sudden, right away, the first Sunday after that, we're standing with a presumably 30-year-old Jesus at the banks of the Jordan River for his baptism. That three decades went by awful fast, right? Um, now, while only Luke and Matthew make any mention at all of Jesus' infancy, all four of the gospel writers include a story about his baptism. And that should clue you uh, right away. It should be a tip-off that that event is pretty important. That event must be crucial for our understanding of who Jesus is and what he does. As I sat with this story of Jesus' baptism from Luke's gospel, something hit me that I really hadn't paid much attention to before. Something kind of strange, and I wonder if you noticed something strange in Luke's telling of that story. It sounds like John could already be in prison by the time Jesus is baptized. Did you notice that? There's those two parenthetical verses that oftentimes we take out and we don't even read those, but I included them today because I think they must be important if Luke wrote his gospel that way. And he writes this, right? So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people, but Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by John because, by, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting John up in prison. And then he goes on to say, and after all, the people had been baptized and Jesus had been baptized. Now, the three other gospel accounts that we have of Jesus' baptism make it pretty clear that at least those gospel writers feel that John did indeed baptize Jesus. And even Luke in his version, doesn't deny that that's a possibility. But I think in writing it this way, by putting in that parenthetical little aside about what happens to John, maybe he's trying to say, this is really not about John at all. It's not about what John does or about what he says, and it's not even really about the water in that event. The power that carries that story comes from somewhere else. Huh? It comes from the heavens. <laughs> it comes from the descent of the Holy Spirit. It comes from a voice saying, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. Hmm. What's happening here in this story of Jesus' baptism in Luke? It's not a ritual washing in preparation for something coming like every other baptism that John had done up to that point, right? This is the ratification of an identity. Hmm? This is an anointing, reminiscent of the Holy Spirit coming down and anointing the first kings of Israel, Saul and David in the book of 1 Samuel, right? This is reminiscent of that naming that happens like in Psalm 2. Here, uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or in Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. 
as Jesus leaves behind now, you see, what was most likely an apprenticeship in Joseph's carpentry shop to begin that work of being the Word incarnate, he's given this moment and the power that comes with it, the very Spirit of God resting on him, infusing him with an identity that says, Beloved, beloved. The event of Jesus' baptism is about his identity, and it's about the worth of that life bestowed on him from above. Beloved. It was fortunate for us here to have experienced a baptism this morning at our first service. We welcomed Zuzu Bird Morrow into the family of faith through the sacrament of holy baptism back there. And that, I, I, was, I thought that's a wonderful name to hang on a little girl, Zuzu. <laughs> and if you ask her parents, they will admit it's a direct ripoff from the movie It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart. Remember his little girl, Zuzu? Zuzu's petals? Yeah. Um, and it's an even more wonderful coincidence for today when you stop and think about what that movie was really about. What was it about? It was about the worth of one life, right? The identity of one man and the worth of his life. Seventy-five years ago when that movie came out, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, right? Um, this country had just come out of the Second World War. And there were an awful lot of people wondering about the worth of human life, particularly the worth of their own life, right? And the director, Frank Capra's answer to that wondering was this movie. It's a Wonderful Life, about a man named George Bailey, who thought himself a failure, thought he had never accomplished what he set out to do, thought that his life really had no meaning, even to the point where he finally wishes that he had never been born, right? And then George gets a glimpse into what things in his hometown of Bedford Falls would have looked like if indeed he had never been born. And he was given those glimpses through the gift of a guardian angel named Clarence. Do you remember this story? Okay. And I don't need to give you the whole synopsis. You probably caught it on TV during one of its continuous airings before Christmas. And if you didn't catch it this Christmas, you probably caught it in one of the 75 Christmases before this one. Okay. Anyway, I got to thinking about that movie this last week because of Zuzu's baptism and the baptism of Jesus. And I got to thinking, you know, you might be led to believe in that story that it was Clarence and his visions of an alternate reality that turn everything for George in that story, that that's what somehow carries the weight. But I don't think it is. I think it's Mary, his wife. Hmm? She was the one who loved George Bailey throughout, even when he couldn't see himself as being worthy of it, right? It was Mary who had the vision for his future, right? To fix up that old house, to fill it up with love and with family, with kids. It was Mary who chose him, George Bailey, over Sam Hee-Haw Wainwright, <laughs> who was on his way, you know, to... The, on the fast track towards wealth in the in plastics industry, you know, right after college. It was Mary who 
enabled George to live out the goodness in him and was able to make him a better man. You remember that scene where there was the run on the banks? Huh? And they were just getting ready to go on their honeymoon. And it looked like the building and loan was going to close. And Mary comes in and says, I've got $6,000. And George grabs it and says, that's right. How much do you need? Right? And he gives out just enough to keep the building and loan open so they could continue to do the good work in that town. It was Mary who in the end went around town telling everybody that George was in trouble and inviting their love and their support for him. Mary revealed his belovedness in that movie. And that was the miracle. The ordinary belovedness carried in human connection. That's it. Now, what in the world does that have to do with Jesus' baptism? Thank you for asking me that question, and now I will answer it for you. Maybe. <laughs> i got to go back to Luke's gospel, okay, to his telling of this story. In trying to tell us who Jesus is, and by extension then, who we are, those who have been baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, Luke follows up the story of Jesus' baptism by immediately sharing Jesus' genealogy. Okay? Now, Matthew, in his telling of the Jesus story, begins all of it with a genealogy. But this one's different in Luke. You see, in Matthew, he was setting out to convince his readers that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. And so his genealogy goes back to Abraham. It goes through King David, right? He was descended from David, like we said the Messiah was going to be, like the prophets told us, all the way back to Abraham, the founder of the covenant. But Luke does something different. If you turn in your pew Bible to page 834, go ahead and do it. 834, I never ask you to open those pew Bibles. I'm asking you today, okay, because this is really important. This is one of those sections of the story most people, their eyes glaze over, and they just skip right over it and say, oh, what's next in the story? But this is really important in Luke's telling of the story. It begins at Luke 3.23 right after the story I sh shared with you about Jesus' baptism. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Yanai, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maat, son of Mattathias, son of Semin, son of Yosek, son of Yodah, son of Yohanan, son of Resa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adai, son of Kosan, son of Elmadam, son of Er, son of Joshua, son of Eleazar, son of Yorim, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Yonam, son of Eliakim, son of Meliah, son of Mena, son of Maratah, son of Nathan, son of David, you recognize that, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salah, son of Nashon, son of Aminadab, son of Admi, son of Ar Arni, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, 
son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalaliel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Now, why all those names? Why go all the way back? Hmm? I wonder if Luke isn't telling us that Jesus is who he is in all of his belovedness, not simply because he was descended from fame or from biblical royalty, right? but is beloved in his humanness that was tied to Adam, tied to the creator God, just like you, huh? just like me. It was the Holy Spirit who brought the power at Jesus' baptism. It was the divine voice saying, Beloved, beloved, that named him there and gave him power to then dedicate his whole life to the care and redemption of all that God had made. He was beloved before his sacrificial death on the cross. He was beloved before he had uttered one public sermon or one public word. He was beloved before he worked one miracle or one act of power. Before he'd done anything worthy of note, he was beloved. And so it is for little Zuzu Bird Morrow, who was baptized this morning, and so it is for every single one of us, too washed, drowned, buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. People, your belovedness is not an accomplishment. It's not a prize for a life wonderfully lived. It's a gift. It's a gift. Yours to now celebrate wonderfully and to live out of powerfully. Amen.